So we're going to be in Psalm 119 tonight. You'll want to turn there. And we're going to be picking it up in verse 41. And as we pick it up in verse 41, the title is going to remain the same. Journaling the Journey. Journaling the Journey. It's a great title for what 119 represents. The companion of Emmanuel that is guiding and directing us. And the notes that we're taking in our hearts and the things that the Lord allows us to pen literally in books that document what it is he has said. And we've all started those, right? They are with your Bible or they may be on your bookshelf or they may be under your pillow or in your dresser drawer. But one of the things that is so relevant about Psalm 119 is that it covers a vast territory of experiences that David, having been credited in its penning, is giving us a peek, an insight. There isn't necessarily a lot of the history of where it's come from because it's actually a bit deeper than that. It's the story of how the Lord has come to him. Sometimes when everything depends on fascinating people with what we've come through, we miss the most important part, and that is the person who has fascinated us in being the one that has brought us through. Stories are great, but our lives are always broader and deeper and higher than simply the talking points or the short movies. They're important to us with regard to seeing what God has done. But the most important thing is how does our story inspire others to grab a hold of the Lord on the day-to-day basis and with assurance be able to say as we do, he's faithful. He is faithful in all that he does. So Psalm 119, as we pick it up, there's a term that we have already looked at. And as Everest has prayed, I'm, I'm walking in that particular prayer. I'm taking up my staff and I'm walking in that prayer. And the term that's going to be coming up right now is ordinance. You'll find that we'll be looking at still the law and ordinances and precepts. We occasionally will reflect on what those mean. But verse 41 says, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. The second part of it says, Your salvation according to your word. So there's a knitting together of both the word salvation and mercies. And salvation sometimes gets taken for granted because we speak of it often. But there couldn't be a more appreciable word than salvation. And it doesn't mean necessarily from an incident. It means from the consequence of a pending judgment of God 
to a Christ-rejecting world. When we talk about salvation, we talk as those who have known that God's word is true concerning what sin has done, the fall of all humanity and of all earth, and there's been a consequence. And so devastating is it that the Lord came up with a plan that brings remedy to it. Death has been described as certain, but the Lord would say with even greater certainty than what that indeed is inarguable over is heaven. And so when we look at the mercy of God and we see the correlation with the salvation of man, it is a great mercy and it comes to us. It came to us in the birth of God's son, Jesus. We look at that and say, well, that's a familiar story and it resonates very strongly at Christmas time. But we're never to forget that there was a resignation of God himself to become lesser than who we know him to be, which is greater than all for the purpose of identifying with each one of us. And that's the extraordinary thing about God. You may say, did David mean to imply all of this? I don't know necessarily that, but because this has to me an important inflection, I just think it's an important point to make. Salvation and mercy are within the same verse. So great a salvation we have. And it actually is by virtue of how great it actually is that which surpasses any other thing that we could ever say I need mercy in. That you've been saved by the confession of your mouth in the expression of faith and sealing it with belief. And there couldn't be a higher thing to understand with regard to mercy. That being understood is that when that is where your grounding is, you'll be much more sensitive when mercy indeed is experienced in the littler things. See, that's a big thing to see mercy in. Salvation of our soul, the guarantee of heaven. That makes everything else that we at some point in time make much larger than our soul being saved. It makes it much more easily able to say, I can get through this. If God was so big to give me mercy by coming to me, let mercy come to me, then I know that a little mercy and what I now perhaps am seeing as a big situation, a big need for salvation, it's going to come to me. I like the phrasing, let your mercies, and I like the plurality of that too, meaning you're not going to tire God of mercies that you appeal to him for and understanding first and foremost that the greatest mercy you have experienced is being saved for him and purposed for heaven your salvation according to your word. Therefore, this is another important part because all of Psalm 119 deals with the 
emphatic, the word of God. What is it that he has spoken to you? How does that translate in your life? When others speak contrary to it or the circumstances change with regard to it. You can still believe in God's word, even though you may have a week or a month, years. You've heard that before. You just keep moving through calendars and days and grammatically making something longer. The long and winding road. The Beatles tried to sing about it. Never inspired me. Didn't depress me either. The Holly sang about it. The road is long. But he's, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. But see, my brother, I know, will carry a weight. And I cannot carry my brother indefinitely. It's a gorgeous song. And it's full of humanitarianism. But it's not necessarily highly spiritual. It's about a work that you will do for the sake of someone. But if that someone is not God working through you, you do not have the strength or resources to continue. That's why when we talk about salvation and what God did for us, we can resign to say, I can do what I can do, but I can do no more than that which he gives me strength for in my time of weakness. Your salvation according to your word. So we learn how to tell people about the simplicity of the gospel, their need to accept the Lord as their Savior, what he did in order to do that, how he satisfied prophetically rising from the grave, sending his spirit, and sealing each one of us for eternity. That's awesome. You don't have to talk about election, but you can but you ought to certainly talk about grace, which is the mystery. We get what we do not deserve, and we are spared from what we do deserve. It's awesome. Verse 42 says, So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Well, we've heard with frequency James says, Be quick to hear. Right? We're to be quick to hear. We're to be slow to anger. And we're to be very slow in our speaking. Very careful in what we say. In whatever order that may come to you, the counsel is still wise. Because according to 42, there are those who reproach us. They are the taunters in the margin. That would be those who taunt us. The enemy taunts us. He says, whatever you're believing God for in his word, you might as well give up on it. You don't even have faith to go one more step in it. You've stepped in everything else, but you cannot take another step in faith. You don't even have a belief that seals the power of God to work in your faith. And that's the taunting. We've been taunted in our lives before, and the Lord makes those allowances because when we understand what it means to be taunted to our pain, we understand what God has to endure to be taunted against his sovereignty. God isn't up there with a box of Kleenex weeping and blowing his nose because of being taunted by the agencies of men on earth. 
He's a strong God. He's a confident God. He's sovereign. It would be like me going up to a naval battleship and trying to crash into the hull and say, move out of my way. The bottom line is, is that destroyer or the carrier or whatever, anything bigger than my 23-foot deck boat that belongs to the U.S. Navy, it has a sovereign power over me. So I could be looking quite impressive, very bold, but all I'm doing is taunting that vessel at my peril. It could sink me just by one little cough by the man who controls the rudder. Rivers was a pilot on a carrier, right? Or was it a destroyer, a destroying carrier? Destroying carrier. <laughs> I knew it. Only he had the commission to be able to be on a destroying carrier. But he knew what it was like to have that much power and to be piloting that kind of a boat. So what I'm saying is that in this, as the psalmist greets us in 42, that there is an answer, so shall. I have an answer for him who reproaches me. That means there is an answer to those who taunt you because they are very likely the same individuals that taunt God as perhaps once we did. For I trust in your word. The word of God gives you the answer. Not necessarily for the prating fool, but for the ignorant soul. There are people that do say things ignorantly, but there are also fools who say things arrogantly. And we have to know the difference. We cannot reason and argue with a prating fool, but we can correct someone who is simply an ignorant voice piece of culture or perhaps spiritual immaturity. But there is a difference that we can make by understanding how the answer should come. And it does say in this that I'm going to trust your word. Careful with my words by trusting in your word. Most of us would say we've regretted saying at times what we said. And if we could backtrack we would phrase it differently. There are times, though, that we can also regret not saying what needed to be said. You may ask, so what's the answer? I don't have one. This says that in this scenario, the Lord has a word for you. The question is, will you use it with discernment and discretion? All biblical characters that were voice pieces of strength and confidence to the Lord were those who were obligated to seek him for discernment and discretion. Discernment means spiritually connecting with God to a human plight or condition in which is now the time. Discretion is the delivery the manner and means by which in seeking the Lord, he says, the time is now. And the exchange that is made is what that word comes out as. And I know you may say, well, that sure is complicated of God to put that much on me. 
well, that's why he would want you to understand you can put that all back on him. See, we can sometimes say that I shall do this according to the word, but I fear the outcome of it. God doesn't expect you to have fear. He expects you to connect back with him on the battle plan. You know, getting back to this term that we ran into, which was the fool's answer or what would be considered the time in which a reproachment has happened. That means a taunting. I almost shudder because I'm wearing a baseball cap, but in 1968, I was a little leaguer. Every kid on every block in every suburb of Virginia was on the little league, but I didn't belong there. That wasn't my place. We didn't. We had a team that they didn't even give us uniforms. We were sponsored by a company that was called, I believe, um, Mayor's Electric. And I don't think the mayor was with us because if he was, he was cheap enough to not even buy us a uniform. So we came as a ragtag group. Plus, the hat itself, it didn't even have a. It didn't even have an animal mascot. We had these big, bold letters that said me. And so when we hit the field, oh, here are the me's. Me, 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 me. And I thought, oh, my word. It was abject humiliation from the start. And we could not hit balls because we realized that most of us had been on teams in which we were the practice dummies for the pitchers. All of us were a collection of failures. We couldn't run bases because we were so fast. We were just trying to get out of the game and run to the parking lot. We were hit. We were laughed at. We were mocked and ridiculed. It was so good to be through with that season. <laughs> because every game had another opportunity to be humiliated. But what I believe about that is that that was precisely what the Lord wanted me to go through, a time in which what I was designed for, which was other sports, I would be able to be shaped in character by the one I failed in. And I did. I failed in another one too, basketball, but I, not good. Back in my generation, we ended up doing hand-me-downs. So Rob and I were last in the food chain. So we got all of our clothes from our older brothers. So you can figure out what a pair of high school jeans would look on a, <laughs> a fourth grader, a fifth grader, junior higher. So we'd have to belt up. We'd have to roll our jeans up. Now it's cool. Back then it was like, what are you doing? Uh, trying to shave off about five inches that my brother had. And what I'm saying is that we learned in the process of the hardships to have character built in us that would format a disposition that says we will not quit. We can't fight them, but we can outlast them. And that's really what many of us have found to be true. Maybe I can't fight them, but I can outlast them. 
Their foolishness will catch up to them, but my faithfulness will be caught up to by God. He'll accept it. He'll take it. He'll run with it. And if he runs with my faithfulness according to his faithfulness, we're going to go a long way. In fact, we'll go the full way. We'll get right into heaven together. But as I said on Sunday too, as he makes himself evident to us for the need to be in love with him sincerely, then he gives us the sincerity of a life that we will love. And it still will have dynamics. It will have tensions. It will have all the things that we would say, boy, I wish it could be just a little different. And God says, it will be in heaven. But in this moment, the difference is how much you will trust in me and call upon me. I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me. And God's the one that gives you that according to his word. I trust in your word. 43, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. It's interesting in that phraseology, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. But there's a mystery to it. Does God steal his words from us? Does he confuse the language of his communique in the scriptures by what it is we say? So I think that in this, there's a bit of an enigma what it means. Could it be that the psalmist is questioning whether or not the words that he has used have been powerful, accurate, full of faith? I think I lean more towards that. Could the psalmist be implying what we've talked about in Solomon's life, Ecclesiastes, as he sums up the frivolities, the, the things that he's done that have added up only to vanity, if you ever survey just before you go to bed your life, was there vanity in my life today? And I'm not talking about simply looking at the mirror. I'm talking about the things that we think. Vanity for me is when I look, and I was laughing with Rob, is when I look head on into the mirror and I think really awesome things about myself. Sobriety is when I take the side profile and I'm going, my goodness, there's a meltdown. <laughs> The face on when I'm looking at Rich Alvin and going, yeah, you, uh, yeah. But to exit from that mirror without either backing up, crashing into the door that's behind me or leaving and not getting out of the bathroom, I have to do a side profile in which it reveals the dimensions of my demise. I'm not doing as well as my mind just told me I was. And Cologne's not going to fix it. You know, another shower is not going to make it better. But what will in a time in which that has to be my confrontation is this Lord, from the time that I was conceived in the womb, you knew me deeply and you're not through with me. And what I feel about myself now is not what you feel about me at all, but I can do better. I just need your help. So Rob and I actually were having a laugh because I think that though he has a much more, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm laboring with guys that, that are athletes. They, they, they look at where I was an athlete, look less like one. But we were laughing about the 
mirror the side profile. There are things that relate to that with regard to that word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually. The law are the things that God has taught you and the things that you are not only observing but practicing obediently. I shall keep your law continually. And the continuance means not necessarily in perfection, but you're going to keep going. You're not going to stop. It's better probably to presume that's what's being said. Or you're not going to stop. Okay, so you had a bad day. Okay, you had a delusion about yourself. Okay, your mirror in which you inventoried yourself was full of the fog from the steam from your shower. So you continue on in truth. It does not mean that you're not going to have a difficult day. Some of you will notice that I've changed hats. And you can get into all kinds of conjectures to why I did that. But I wore caps, and now I have what is qualified as a baseball cap after I've used illustratively my failure as a baseball player. Just thought of that. So, and I, <laughs> but, but here's, here's the deal. I love a fresh hat, but I know this, it doesn't stay fresh forever. And so my caps would start getting crunchy and they just look like rather than it being on my head, my back tire had rolled over it several times. So I started when I was, with Zachary getting stuff for him from a sports store, and I just went by the couple of racks. So I'd go by these racks, but the hats that I would get that were very nicely shaped would go down clear to below my ears, which means my ear was getting bent, and I looked like I was a little boy in a big man's hat. So, yep, you know where I'm going. I had to go to the big boys department. I had to go back to my little league days to get a hat that would, in my opinion, fit. The problem is, it fits so well, it kills me. It's pinching every corpuscle and blood vessel I have up on my pate. I'll never grow hair again, cutting off even the remote chance that I could have with the blood supply. But here's what I'm saying and what I'm learning. The hat fits. It does fit. It's just paining me right now. And I have to determine, is this the fit that I want and is it worth the pain? I made a choice. I said, there's got to be somebody that's experienced this pain before and has done something clever to conquer it. So they call these devices hat stretchers. Did you know they make them? And... So it's made out of wood, and it's got a turnbuckle. And I said, I am going to make that hat that is to conform to me, conform to me. It's applying pressure on me, and I don't like it, but yelling at that hat's not going to change things. I'm going to reciprocate and apply a pressure that's equal and superior to it, and I will have a crisp baseball hat. 
I will make up for the years in which humiliation was my mark. To come all the way to the West Coast to be forgotten by those who mocked me, I had to do. But the turnbuckle on it creates the pressure internally that changes the conformity of this cap. It's much better than it was, but it means there's still a work. But I do not yell at my cap. I do not say, I've made a mistake. The pressure is too much for me. I've made a mistake. No, the pressure is intended to me or for me that I might be able to say in my conviction, the choice I made right now to relieve myself of frustration is correct. But I now have to allow an internal work of pressure that we might be able to say is really God's to do in our life. Because if I jump out of this illustration and say we all have to have a mechanical solution, it's true, there are mechanics. I do have to make that turnbuckle. I do have to spread it out. And I alternate actually between this and another hat. What you don't know is I have other colored hats. And my goal is to make each one of those skull-crushing caps fit me, conform to me, as opposed to me being conformed to it. I'm not going to give up. There's a spiritual principle I'm fighting for. If I have to get the next wooden cap stretcher up, to make that little boy's hat to a big man's hat, I will. But it's working, and I thought that I should apply that tonight. There's pressure that we feel, but you do not have to give up because of the pressure. You simply counter it with an internal pressure. That internal pressure is God's word. It's his spirit. And it doesn't mean that you will not be involved in mechanics. Turning a turnbuckle to create a spread a distance from where it was set to where it needs to be for you to wear it. We use that term very often. He wears many hats. We wear many hats. But the hats are to conform to you. You may be pained by the hat, but they are to conform to you. So I'm just going through a season right now. And it's not to entertain you, but it could be entertaining. He chose that color. That is ridiculous. And then I go, hmm, you sound like one who reproaches me. <laughs> you sound like somebody needs to go to Virginia where I left you like 50 years ago. Just a thought concerning the things that the Lord may be doing in all of us. And so you were not to give up. We're not to say we made a mistake. We're to apply equal and stronger pressure, but in a way in which the spirit is the one that is doing it, transforming it. It doesn't fully work on the material part of this illustration, but what I'm saying is, in the material world, we have material pressures, and they're not made to crush spiritual men and women. We are victors. Make it work. Be happy with the decision that you've made. Stand up to it. You stood up to the taunters years ago. Stand up to them today, according to the word. 
And so the law is going to be kept continually. That means even when I fail the law, the law will not fail me. I'm continuing on in saying that is well-written, God. That serves me. It serves generations. I'm not going to argue with it forever and ever. I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. What an important word. See, even when we talk about law and precepts and statutes and commandments and judgments and ordinances, God says, do so in liberty. The spirit gives liberty. On the other side of it, the law, it kills. In other words, to keep the commandments and to have yourself being patted on the back because of how well you've kept them. You fail in one, you failed in the, them all. But God says when you have literally apprehended grace and when you have been apprehended by grace, you are to be able to walk in a liberty that gives such joy and abundance with what you get to do and where you get to do it. It doesn't mean that there are not needs then that will require discernment and all of that discretion. But God says, I want you to walk in liberty. And you will have to say no to that. But you also may say yes to this. And there are also times in which down the center you may say maybe. But we're to be greatly liberated. Because if not, we turn into legalists. And legalists kill the work of the Spirit and what the Spirit wants to do. If I were leading worship and all of a sudden somebody from Ireland came and Karis <laughs> gave me some type of uh, Irish greeting yesterday. She used river dance as a term. And I know flattery or something. But if all of a sudden he, not recognizing me after these many years, jumped up on these chairs and started doing river dance across them and across her laps, that is a liberty that I wouldn't allow him to take, even though he's a megastar. I would find that to be highly inappropriate. But if during a praise and worship song and it was scheduled and he wanted to do something that was a Jewish river dance, it could be highly appropriate here. What I'm saying is that we are to walk in a liberty, but it doesn't mean you get to walk over everybody in that liberty. And it's really important to know that, that there are people that love God deeply and they're discreet and they are wise and they care about you, but they're different than you. We're different than one another. And so liberty is so important with regard to the word, as long as it is not in defiance of the principles that have been laid out. Great liberty, because liberty affords an abundant life. But that's not doing everything you want. It's doing things that please God. And when you please God, he practically lets you do many things. I would say probably unlimited things that are according not only to the desire of your heart, but to your wants. Because you're unionized with him. You're at one with him. I will speak of your testimonies and also before kings and will not be ashamed. This gives you a boldness in your faith, in your family. You just, you speak about the Lord as if he were right there beside you like a good pal, like a husband or wife. You're just not ashamed of him. He's worth the boast. He's 
That's how maturity is measured. You're just not afraid to talk about God. You're not afraid to say to somebody, hey, God bless you today. You're not afraid to say, hey, let me pray with you in this moment. Because it's who you are. It's not what you want to become. It really is who you are. Therefore, be who you are. Be a bold, precise, authentic Believer, I very seldom have ever been, in, in my opinion, an offense in my testimony. I'm careful with what it means. I don't assault people with my testimony. I put a little salt on their tongue with my testimony. I say just enough that in fishing terms, it's chumming. But I never forget that that's not completely where it ends. With great sincerity, I will say to them and have said in these past days, even with those that are attending Zachary, hey, God bless you. Thank you for what the Lord is doing in your life right now. Does it mean they go, ooh, ooh? Sometimes they just carry on with what they're doing. March, Zach. Stretch, Zach. Lift. But I know that the power of that word and the sincerity of it is targeted to their heart. And I say it with such, I think, honesty. It's not threatening to them. It's liberating. Oh, I think it's just blessed. Eh, don't know what that means, but okay. Because you deal with people that are looking out for good karma. Why don't you just give them good God? We've got a bad enemy, the devil. We've got a great God, and he's bigger than karma, and he's bigger than the devil. You just give them God with sincerity. And it's not always about the testimony. And it's not always about smelling the fires of hell. It's about the abundant life. And the fact that you literally walk and talk with the Lord. And they believe you. They believe you. I will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments which I love, the power to convince and the authority to put things in order is what commandment means. I will delight myself in your commandments, in your power, in your authority. Bravo, Lord. Excellent. Amazing in what you did. Amazing in who you are. You amaze me in what I know about myself. And yet what you continue to reveal that you love me in spite of the things that become more evident about me. You know, Paul always had to have a resignation concerning his dastardly early start in spirituality because he committed such heinous crimes against those who then he would have a passion ultimately in wanting to be saved. We may not ever be able to outrun the opinions of people based on how we once behaved. But one thing we can do that is most convincing is I'm not that same person. And we need to give people the opportunity of realizing, yeah, you remembered me trying to play shortstop. That wasn't me. Yeah, you remembered me swinging five times to hit a pitch once. That's not me. Yeah, yeah, you, you saw me. 
I ran into the fence trying to catch a fly ball and I didn't even see it. I was just faking like I knew it was coming towards me. It landed 20 feet from me. You saw that. Your commandments, which I love, and my hands also, I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on, it says, your statutes. And this lifting up is giving the Lord visually honor. I will do that in church at times. I could do it all the time, except it is interesting to be singing from a bulletin and lifting up one arm. But I will do it. And at times I will take cues from people that do it in advance of what I feel I really should do. There's some people that will stand at a particular time during a song. And if I have a peripheral feeling about it, and I find myself moving in agreement with it, I'll stand. Well, the worship leader didn't give you permission. But somebody in the congregation did in the activity that they were involved in. They chose to stand up for the Lord. They could have been the only one standing. You know what? That's awesome. Because they're doing in that moment with liberty a conviction. See, but the thing is, their standing doesn't pull me off of what it is I'm doing. I may be sitting and completely in a place in which the presence of God is upon me. I'm feeling him. I don't need to stand to do anything else. But I can acknowledge that that person in standing is revering God in a special way. Now, if all of a sudden that person pulled out from underneath their chair, a trombone and started doing a Jericho march, I understand what church that best works at. However, if they were auditioning for a place in the band and it was working, I'd go, wow, see her next week on the worship team. But you would not want me to do that with bagpipes from my cultural uh, lineage in Scotland because I don't know how to use them. You go, that's weird. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. We're to be meditating on the statutes of God. Okay, I forget which one they are. So the statutes are the binding force of God. That means the covenant that he has made with you, that he has made on behalf of you, his love for you. Remember, we went through about four studies and the Song of Solomon, it was all about love. He loves us. And you must never doubt that. And as you love him, he will give you a life to love. And in the romantic persuasion of that teaching, it will be that he gives you someone to love. Which is important because a lot of people think they can pick. There is choice. But when God makes the pick, he gives you the best choice and you don't make a boo-boo, which then will give you boo-boos in life. You go, ooh, that hurt. Well, there you go. We made it to Psalm 105, that verse, right? No, we didn't. We're going to pray, though. You did good. <laughs>